Hey, I'm Josh Schwartz. And I'm Stephanie Savage. And we are the creators and executive producers of Gossip Girl. Welcome back, listeners, to your one and only source into all things Gossip Girl. You know you'll love it. XOXO. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of XOXO. My name is Jessica Zor, and I played Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl changed my life, you guys, and I know a lot of you feel the same way, whether you came for the fashion or the music, the friendships, the drama, the love triangles, or just to get lost in the world of the Upper East Side. So many of you have told us that it was your favorite show. So after a long 10 years, I'm getting the crew back together with my brand new podcast, XOXO. We're going to take a walk down memory lane, bringing you the Gossip Girl stories we never told and reuniting the people that made it all happen. And why today? Well, 10 years ago, the mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg, declared January 26th Gossip Girl Day. So I thought, this is the perfect time to launch my podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a new member of the cast, the crew, the creators, and even some fans. And I'm just so excited for you guys to go on this journey with us. Today's guests are the brilliant Gossip Girl creators and executive producers, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage. These two are a powerhouse duo, you guys, true television icons. They brought you The O.C., Runaways, Nancy Drew, The Carrie Diaries, City on Fire, and of course, Gossip Girl. This episode, we are bringing you back to the very beginning, how Gossip Girl was pitched to a little network called The CW, why Penn Badgley chopped his hair before the pilot, and the moment when everyone knew Chuck and Blair were something special. It was such an honor working with these two, and even the way that happened is a crazy story in itself. So without further ado, please let me welcome my very first guests, the incredible Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage. Oh my gosh, this is Hi. so lovely. First off, I want to oh, say- Wait, are we starting? Are we doing this? It's on? It's happening? Okay. <laughs> I want to say thank you guys for creating and putting a vision to a show that, that meant so much to so many people across the world, but personally for me changed my life. I met some of my friends that I'll have in my life forever. I got to live in New York City. I got to learn as an actor. Um, I got to work with two of the best and most talented producers in the business. And who is that? <laughs> <laughs> working with you guys and the cast that you put together and the project that we all got to work on and, and bring so much joy to so many people across the world. From the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for that. I know we had a lot of years together and fun times and memories and things like that, but I don't know if I ever really sat down and said, hey guys, like, Really, thank you so much because the hard work and everything that you put in wasn't just a TV show for entertainment. It was like a life for for a lot of us and and, and for and for the fans and, and viewers as well. Um, so just thank you for that. Thank you. Good thing you came to that pool party that day at my house. <laughs> yeah. Actually, can you tell your guys' side of the story? Because David had his, I had mine. I'm like, I'm going to ask Josh and Stephanie. I have a very clear memory of that. Yeah. So we're, should we Me just too. jumping into the, how you got cast on the show story? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I was having a, uh, a party at my house. Uh, Steph was over. Was it, it was like Memorial day or 4th of July or something. It must've been 4th of July. Yeah. I think you came with Adam Brody, right? 
with like a group of people. Yeah. We were in the process of beginning the casting process of Vanessa. Uh, I opened the front door. You were standing there. And it was like, Vanessa, I found Stephanie. I'm like, what? Did you? And she's like, yeah. And we had the whole conversation and it was, it was like that. I mean, I don't think we, I don't think we presented it to you at the party. We probably let you enjoy yourself. You guys did not yeah. mention a word. No, because at first I was just like, I, I don't even know if she's an right. actress. I'm not going to like accost her and be like, hey, do you want to be a gossip girl? She could like. No, I think. And it was an early internet day. Like so I think we were able to. Brain like, surgeon or like. <laughs> I think we were able to run to my desktop because it was like, you know, pre. Yeah, I think we like IMDb do and you had like found your credits. Yeah. We're like, oh, she's an actress. Okay, good. You're like, sweet. Yeah. That is wild. And I was there for a couple hours. You guys never mentioned a thing. No. But at that point, the pilot had not aired yet. No. No. There was just a lot of buzz around the producers who did the OC and have this new show coming out on the CW, which which was a new network. The CW was not a thing. We were the first show for the CW. They were a network that had fused together the WB and the UPN. And the way I recall it happening was Alloy and uh, my agents had sent me the Gossip Girl books, which were set up at the CW already with Don Ostroff. Okay. I immediately called Stephanie and said, if you like this, let's do this together. Because we were trying to figure out what we were going to do together after the OC ended. And there was nobody I wanted to work with more after that than, than Steph. And so it was already set up at the CW. And we were like, okay, great. We knew what they were trying to do. We knew what the WB was. And that was kind of the model that they right. were seemed to be following. And we were off to the races. And I remember very distinctly being on the set of the OC finale. And there was like a crowd of teenagers in the street where we were shooting the episode and somebody was like, what are you guys going to do next? And I said, Oh, doing this, uh, this book series called gossip girl. And everybody screamed like all these kids screamed. So, oh my so God. the books already had a, a big built in <laughs> fan base going into it that I think we were not fully aware how, how big the fan right. base was, how passionate the fan base was. Yeah. We had never really heard of them. And obviously you guys read the books, had an idea of what you want to do. Was it always going to be a TV show? For us, it was. So the other, not only did we not know how popular the books were, no one told us that they had tried unsuccessfully to develop the books a couple of times prior to us, which may have made us suspicious. Right. We just went in like, you know. Well, good thing, good thing you didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, very idealistic. So I think it was, I think it was, they attempted it as a movie, I believe with Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan is Blair. Amy Sherman Palladino, I think, was writing it. Yeah, prior to us. So prior we were us. not aware of any of that. Lindsay as Blair. Who as Serena? I'm not sure they got that far down the line. Dina Lohan, her mother. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys knew you were going to go do that. By the way, how did you guys originally meet to do the OC? Are you going all the way back? <laughs> we met prior to the OC pilot. We met on a general meeting. And uh, out of that meeting, the OC was born. And we just worked incredibly closely together. Stephanie was my boss on the pilot, is what we like to say. Or I guess that is the truth. That's why we like to say it. Because <laughs> we speak the truth. Um, and I was the writer and she was the producer. And But even though we had these different roles, we just worked very seamlessly together. And there was just a real creative synergy. And um, But she was Stephanie was extremely thorough as a boss and as a producer and would time my naps because we were working a lot of hours. And I'd be very tired and I'd be like, I please just take a nap. And she'd be like, you have 
two minutes, go, or whatever. No, it was like 20 <laughs> minutes, and I'd always give you like a couple extra minutes. But we did joke my credit on the first season of The O.C. was supervising producer, and I literally supervised him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Is this an okay shirt to wear to That's the network, amazing. Stephanie? Okay, thank you. Yeah, she was supervising all elements. <laughs> no, it was not. Element. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. Well, that was part of the charm. And so very early on, though, it was like clear, like, oh, you are more than a, a producer or someone, you know, who in this traditional, usually producers are non-writing producers on a lot of these shows. And Stephanie was just clearly someone who was a writer, but was also at that time acting more as a producer. So, you know, first opportunity was like, you should write an episode of the show. Um, and she did. And it was the Chris Mika episode. And then we got to switch roles and I got to be her boss. Uh, she did not nap. I did not have to time any for <laughs> But it was very uncomfortable for me to have to be now the baby writer handing my script into the showrunner and like praying that he liked it and like that it didn't get a huge rewrite, that it wasn't a big whiff. Um, she nailed it. She and, nailed it as uh, you would expect. She nailed it. Yeah. Well, but I think that really formed like the basis of our, the foundation of our relationship where we can wear different hats with each other. We can write things together as partners. One person can write something and the other person can be more of a producer. We can sort of like move back and forth pretty seamlessly. And I think that's quite unusual for people. And I think most importantly, we are okay being vulnerable with each other, which obviously if you're going yeah. to write something or create something, there's a lot of vulnerability required. So I always felt like I could go to Stephanie with the most embryonic seed of an idea or a pitch or what have you. And there would be no judgment about what was lacking, only excitement about what it could be. We were early adopters yeah. of vulnerability. Yeah, B'nai Brown got it from <laughs> us. <laughs> exactly. Who, who did you guys cast first? Or who did you know when they walked in the room, you're like, this is this person? Who walked in when you knew other than Vanessa? Exactly. <laughs> there was a big online push for Blake as Serena before we had even started. There was a lot of like emails and message boards. And we knew of Blake from the Traveling Pants movies that she had done with right. Alloy, which obviously were the producers of the Gossip Girl books and, and also the series. So she was definitely on our radar very early on. And did you guys see that? I'd say we definitely had curiosity of like, we need to meet this girl and like, see what she's about. And then we had, um, yeah, we had lunch with her. That's right. Yeah. Was a lunch with her at the 101 cafe. And she was herself. She's really charming, um, really funny, um, super open. Her personality, her natural personality is not really like Serena is probably a bit more aloof and a bit more like, oblivious, you know, to mm -hmm. what's going on around her, a little more self-involved, which Blake is not. But part of, I think, we thought one of the reasons that the show, is at this point we had figured out that they tried to develop it a couple times and it didn't work, is that the characters really needed to be imbued with warmth um, and kind of a rootability that the, the book characters didn't necessarily have. And so Blake's natural warmth and kind of her California sunniness was actually going to be a great quality to bring to Serena, that she loves her brother, that she cares about her friends, that she's trying to be a better person. Blake was going to bring all of that in spades versus some other actress who might be more a natural Serena, but who wasn't going to be able to like 
infuse Serena with those positive qualities that we needed her to have. When I watched the pilot back, I was saying like, there's this mystery that Blake also brought to Serena. Like she comes back, you don't know where she was. Was it bad? Was it alcohol? Was it drugs? What did you do? She brings you in where you care about her so much, even though you don't know if what she just did was horrible. Yeah, no, we made one of the first moves that we made in adapting the book that Stephanie was alluding to was in uh, in the books and in prior adaptations, I, I, I'm assuming, um, the mystery of why Serena left and why she came back was kind of like a little bit, she was a party girl and she got in trouble and she left and now she wanted to come back to you. There wasn't like a, a, a super concrete reason to her return or one that was engendering a lot of sympathy for her character. She just seemed like somebody who could do whatever she wanted. So the idea that she was back because her brother, you know, had attempted suicide and she wanted to keep that a secret and she had come back for her family. That was a move that we made early on in the adaptation to try to really root the audience's interest and like root for Serena and give this character who has the world on a string, has this reputation, is beautiful and, you know, a socialite and all that. It gives people a lot of reason to not like her and slept with her best friend's boyfriend. Um <laughs> <laughs> she had some strikes against her, but she was coming back for this thing that was obviously incredibly sympathetic and that hopefully would get the audience to root for her. Yeah. In the books, her brother, Eric, is older. He's not gay. Right. He's not vulnerable. Vulnerable little guy that Connor brought to life. And one of the funny things is Blake, for us, was a second, the, the second she started reading Serena, she just was Serena. And we were 100% like sold on her because, as Stephanie was alluding to, she was so Californian and bubbly and right. it required not imagination, well, a little bit of imagination on the part of the network just to kind of like see her as a New Yorker. So we did a screen test where um, luckily Stephanie has a very sophisticated closet <laughs> and uh, she dressed Blake in her own clothing. Wow. And so that fusion of Stephanie and Blake uh, on camera. You guys were like, listen, you're going to be Serena whether you like it or not. Well, it made sense. <laughs> Stephanie is Gossip Girl, so it made sense that her wardrobe is uh, is what got... Well, um, I had like a, a, like a good cashmere overcoat and like a nice like Lanvin satchel. We just like, we burnied her up a bit. And when they saw the screen test, everybody 100% got it. Because sometimes executives have to literally see it. You can be like, hey, this, this, and this, and they're like, they don't get it sometimes, which is so funny to me. Well... well yeah. Poor Leighton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have a couple of those on this show. Poor Leighton is blonde, naturally. Um, and she had to dye her hair. She came in blonde, right? Yeah, she came in blonde. And we're like, you know, Blair has brown hair. It's probably best if both the girls don't have blonde hair. She'll dye her hair brown. I feel like the internet was very intense about that stuff, yeah. right? No, the, the internet was like very crazy about like when Chase was cast, they were like, Nate Archibald has green eyes and like Chase Crawford has blue eyes and like this show is ruined and it, there was very what? funny. Oh my God. All the internet. But yeah, so Layton, they just could not, they're like, we know what you're saying that she'll color her hair, but we just can't see it. So Layton truly during pilot season got her hair dyed Blair Waldorf Brown to come in and read for the role. Gave exactly the same performance. Just a different hair color. And they were like, oh, get it now. Yeah. Wow. Did she rinse her hair in the sink? Is that what you said? In the bathroom? I'm not sure about the rinsing in the okay. sink. We may, have, we may have embellished that over time. Yeah. And when you guys were casting, 
I, I think David said not a lot of chemistry reads were happening, which I was, I laughed because I'm like, that's maybe because they knew that everyone was going to somehow connect at some point. <laughs> so everyone yeah. just had to have chemistry. Yeah, we needed to, we needed to dial down the chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My memory is Blake was cast and then we had a big day of screen tests with Leighton, Ed and Chase and maybe Taylor. My memory is that yeah. Blake was not cast and we did okay. a screen test of Blake Layton and Ed. Anyway, but I don't remember them being grouped together. But Ed was a whole situation. First, he read for Nate. It was definitely not a Nate, but we like both like wrote on a piece of paper during his audition and like showed each other that we each had written <laughs> Chuck. You know, he had a British accent. Obviously, Ed did. So we wanted to hear it both ways. And he was just so cool and so unique. And there was like, I've never seen a kid like this on a show like this before. We got to find a place for him. So he got cast as Chuck. And then couldn't get his visa to come shoot in, in the U.S. in time because uh, he was a citizen of the U.K. And they were saying to us as we got closer and closer to the start of the pilot, guys, you need to figure out who your backup Chuck is going to be because we don't think this is going to work out. And we were just like, there is no backup Chuck. It's Ed. I don't want to tell you, figure it out. So were you just telling the network, listen, that's our guy? That's our guy. Yeah. And then they were like, no, seriously, for like insurance purposes. Like if he doesn't show up, we know we, we know we want him. We want him to. But if he doesn't show up, like they're going to shut down the show. We can't shoot. Like we can't let that happen. So you need we're a backup like, Great. Choice. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shut it down. He's our Chuck. You choose a backup choice. Like we, it's, He's our choice. And Peter, to his credit, also refused a choice. He's like, no, it's Ed. So oh I think they were all very annoyed with us, but they just rolled with it and his, his visa cleared in time. And Penn. I had worked with him on a previous show for the WB, and he was a series regular, but it, he wasn't like one of the main, main characters. But I just loved writing for him so much. I thought he was so funny and so smart. Um, and when that show ended, I... I made Josh go out for lunch with me and Penn because I wanted him to meet him. I think I ended up going one-on-one -on -one with him, is my memory, but maybe. Oh, maybe that I could just, be, yeah. That yeah I, just... I think you were like, you two need to go bond. And we went to the Alcove Bakery on Hillhurst. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I was giving Penn the advice that like every year he did a pilot for the WB and like that's a great gig for him and he knew he'd get something. And, you know, when you're young, uh, he was very young when he was on my show. I think he was 17. Uh, it's a lot of money and it's exciting. And I'm just like, you have to stop doing pilots and you have to like really just get focused on like larger goals. And then like <laughs> nine months later called him and is like, okay, you need to do one more pilot for the WB. And it's not even the WB anymore. It's now like this new thing that people don't even know what it is. But fortunately he agreed to that. Yeah, no, Steph was always like, this guy's great. You have to have breakfast with him. Then he and I went to brunch and we were like, okay, Stephanie says we need to bond. So like, let's figure that out. Came out of there, was like, guy seems great. Can I ask you a question about his hair? Because he had this like, <laughs> his hair was kind of long, long at the time and it was like curly and it was just, you know. He was he was a snowboarder on on the other show. So he showed up on set with like his his big hair and that morning that he went on camera, the first scene we shot with was him and Rufus putting up flyers um, in Brooklyn for the Lincoln Hawk concert, which I wore my shirt today. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and we just brought him into the trailer and they just like buzzed all of his hair off. Oh my God, that's funny. And which is, by the way, is, is a nightmare for the network, right? Because normally the network makes you do hair tests and, like, and they want to approve everything. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was like Penn shaved his head. 
and now he's coming <laughs> to shoot. Like what? And then, and like Peter Roth was freaking out. Like everybody was like, what is happening? You shaved his head. And then everybody saw him and was like, oh damn, he looks good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's so good looking. He, he could pull off either. Well, I think it actually kind of pushed him into being like, made him look like more of like a young man. Like it was like a leading man kind of a, of a look. Yeah. You know? it, was, yeah. it was good. Yeah. That so was good. like the Brad Pitt, like <laughs> head buzz kind of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And then Taylor was so, and Taylor was so little. She was like Cindy Lou Who. Yeah, she's awesome, and we're very proud of her. And but who knew? Yeah, I remember her being like, "Do you want to listen to my song I've recorded?" Like little twelve, <laughs> and it was like Gwen Stefani, like super poppy. You know, the music yeah. she was making at the time. So the idea that she became pretty reckless and is what is she like? Set the record for like most number one singles yeah, by a female one, artist right. on the hard rock charts yeah. or something insane. Yeah. Like amazing for sure. Well, we should talk. We should talk for a second though about Matthew Settle and Kelly Rutherford. Yeah, who were like. The only two adults, so to speak, um, yeah. you know, that um, they, they, I mean, they were actual adults, but um, that we were <laughs> allowed to that we were going to have a series regulars in the show. And we really wanted actors who would feel real and legitimate and like obviously they needed to be attractive, but also would be able to like hit all the levels and bring everything we would need because we were going to be leading on them a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't have a, a, a as big of an adult presence in the beginning on the show as we did say on the OC where it was right. much more kind of half adults, half kids. This right. was really going to be kind of 80, 20. So when we went to Rufus, we went to Lily, we needed to have two actors in those parts with presence, um, with charisma and with chops. Humor. And those guys yeah. were so good and brought, um, brought a whole other level to the show. And obviously Rufus was a big crush for, uh, and Matthew for the, <laughs> the female audience that was more on the, you know, 25 to 35 side. Of the of the ledger, totally. Yeah, they they were great. They were so great to work with, and even all their storylines. What Lily all went through, she just played it so well. And Kelly was all in. She was all in. All yeah. in. Yeah, she there was really nothing was. you could throw at her that she would she would balk at. You know, absolutely. She was on Melrose Place, so she had been trained. I know. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Love it. If you were either on Melrose Place or in a David Lynch movie, you had like a good understanding of of what was going to happen, and like you could roll with the punches on our totally. show. Nothing would be too weird for you. <laughs> But Margaret Collin, Wallace Shawn, so many great, you know, paterfamilias came into the show, adults. Yeah. yeah. So many, totally. But I also realized we haven't talked about Kristen Bell at all, which may have been oh, one yeah. of the most critical pieces of casting in the whole dang thing. Yeah. How did that come about? Because, the, I mean, she's the, she's the voice of the show. She no, is and, Gossip Girl. And when we, did the new, when we did the new show, which we knew would be a new generation and a new cast and what have you, the one piece we needed to have was Kristen. That was the one piece that was going to make it feel like Gossip Girl because she's so... Just that is she's the it. tone. She's the tone. She set the tone. And she had been on Veronica Mars for Dawn for the UPN. Mm -hmm. And we had a, a list of names. Steph probably remembers all of them. Um, I don't remember all of them, but oh. I do remember a lot of them. A lot of but them. But Veronica Mars also had voiceover. And Veronica Mars was not canceled when we were doing our pilot. So we had some reluctance of, because it was like she could do the voiceover. It wouldn't be like, it doesn't take that much time. She could do both shows, but we did, we feel comfortable having two shows on the same network with the same voiceover. Voiceover. Yeah. And we also, we love Veronica Mars. We had friends that worked on that show. We didn't want to like cannibalize it in any way. So we were sort of like, but then Veronica Mars was not coming back. And it was like, yes, let's get her as fast as we can. And then when she recorded it, it was she created an entirely different character with just her voice. 
yeah. than how she read Veronica Mars. Completely different. Yeah. Totally different. Which I right. think she had said, I think she was like, I'm a trained voiceover actress. I can make it sound different. And we were just like, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Kristen is like a chameleon. You know, she can do so many different things. So did you guys have anyone else lined up or was it like she was it? We never recorded anybody else. Yeah. So but, but I'll tell you, like Christina Ricci read the um, audiobooks, So she was in the mix. I think Selma Blair was in the mix. She had like cruel intentions. Uh, yeah. But all the cuts that would go to the network, you know, that you know, we would always record Kristen's voiceover last because that's the easiest piece to rewrite to match picture. And she would kind of come in later in the process. So in my mind, Stephanie is, I've said Stephanie's Gossip Girl several times, <laughs> but she was literally Gossip Girl in that she would read the Gossip Girl parts that would go into the cuts, at least at first. And then I think she was like, I don't ever want to do this again. But <laughs> yeah, then I think just the editors did it. Um, but for the for the first episode, um, when we had to hand the pilot in, we rewrote that voiceover at the beginning, probably 20 times. And we made Kristen record it like 18 times. Over and over. <laughs> she was a good sport about it. A really good sport about it. You also, when you, when you have a pilot, you have to go test it, which is this terrible process where you sit in a room, helpful process sometimes, but you sit in a room and you're watching on television, people in another room watch your show. Oh my God. And they have a dial. I don't know if they still do it this way, but this is how they did it then. And they have a dial. And when they're interested, they turn the dial up. And when they're not interested, they turn the dial down. So you're watching this like, you know, like EKG monitor of your show. Like, is it flatlining? Are we dead? And interestingly- <laughs> And it went up with Gossip Girl. No. Well, every time <laughs> the Gossip Girl voiceover would kick in, it would drop. What? And people, because people were like into it. And then who's this voice that's coming in and like distracting me? And, you know, and so it was like, well, do you lose the voiceover? And it was like, you can't. That's part of the show. And we're just going to ride with it. And so sometimes testing is helpful. And sometimes you just go, thank you for the feedback, but we're going to keep making the show we're making. Yeah. And once people figure out how it works, I mean, if you're watching it for the first time, you're like, it's not even a character in the show. You're like, who is talking? <laughs> so, right. But once you get it, you're like, okay, that's Gossip Girl. Yeah. I mean, it's no show without it. So yeah. No, Kristen was it. Kristen did an amazing job. Yeah. And it's so funny because people still to this day will be like, how was it working with Kristen? I'm like, we never had a scene together. I never saw her <laughs> the entire no, she's time. She's on camera in the finale, yeah. <laughs> you know, with, with Rachel Wilson, they're like auditioning for a scene when she and her voiceover is her audition for the Gossip Girl movie. And that's her one on camera appearance yeah although she was on what was she on fallon recently and he made her yeah. read a bunch of headlines as the voice of gossip girl which she's such a good sport about it all oh my yeah. god i gotta go look that yeah. up that's awesome who was the easiest to write for and the hardest <laughs> Steph, you wrote or rewrote everything, so you you take this one. <laughs> well, I don't know that anything was actually like super hard. I think I think that um, I will I will say to to all the aspiring actors out there, the actors that actually say their dialogue as written get better dialogue written for them. <laughs> I don't think Adam Brody would agree with that, but yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, watching the pilot last night really loving the Humphreys. Like I had actually forgotten, like Taylor is amazing. She's just like rat-a-tat-tat, all this dialogue coming out of her mouth. Perfect. And when we were shooting, Taylor also would know all of Matthew's dialogue, <laughs> dialogue <laughs> which they didn't always. Um, and she'd be able to like give them their lines when they needed them. 
but that was a really charming family to write for. For sure. Ed and Layton were super fun to write for. And one of the best things about writing for television is you really get to know your actors over time. If you're doing a feature, the script is kind of written, you cast it, maybe you might make a few changes, but you don't get to live with your actors and know their voices and know like with Layton, you know, oh, I don't need to write any parentheticals anymore because she's just, you know, that says like emotional or looks away. She's just she gonna, just brings she it. She knows how to be Blair and I don't need to tell her how to do that. Uh, and I loved having an outlet for that very elevated, articulate person who seems like they're, they've kind of scripted their dialogue before. It's the character's a little written, as they, as they might say, but like <laughs> Blair did practice her dialogue in the mirror before she went to school that day. You know, she had like, Bon Mo's like ready to go for people. And so that was just always super fun to write. But you love all your children equally. I love all my children equally. Yeah. <laughs> but also Blair, what Leighton did with Blair, I'm shocked that someone wasn't nominated for, for some things. Like there was a scene with Leighton where I'm like, you literally just brought every emotion within two pages where you had me laughing, you're crying, you were vulnerable, you were a little brat. We felt bad for you, the vulnerability that Blair had. And did you guys know that that, that was going to happen, Chuck and Blair, or, or maybe was- Their chemistry? No, I mean, we were, I mean, yes to everything you just said about uh, Leighton's performance. And uh, on the award front, I would like to point out, we have several Teen Choice surfboards that we polish. A hundred percent. That's our hardware. And by the way, I don't overlook that. I think those are amazing. Don't overlook those surfboards. Yeah. <laughs> I would never. But I will go on the record and say, like, the the Emmys do not embrace the teen shows in the way that I think they deserve to. Yeah. And, well, yeah Emmys, Golden Globe. I just, and and again, I really, those surfboards like mean everything to me. They're, they're in my sister's, <laughs> my high school, my, my sister who just graduated high school, her room. And I love them. They mean so much to you. You gave them to your sister. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> it's my, my old room from high school. But um, yeah, I, I feel like maybe because it is a teen teen show or back then CW wasn't looked at. I know Jane the Virgin was one of the first. I just feel like there was a lot of, scenes and performances throughout the show that I was like, wow, that's like really good. Yeah, no, Layton, <laughs> I mean, the stealth thing with her was just how funny she could be. Yeah. You know, but oh, sorry, to answer, your, to answer your chemistry question, it was the end of the pilot and those two are standing outside the party watching, you know, Dan and Serena and Jenny leave the party. And there was just like a connection between them. Ed and, and Leighton and Chuck and Blair watching, you know, as the kind of, at that moment, the villains of the story. Right. Obviously that would evolve over the course of the, the series. That was immediately just so palpable and fun, um, their dynamic. And it really kind of, that was where it kind of really first landed in my memory was the end of that pilot. Yeah. And it, it was like a, a revelation to watch the end of the first episode and feel like, oh my God, it's like dangerous liaisons. It's like Valmont and Mertoy, like the, characters that like they love each other but they hate each other but they're gonna like do schemes together and like that came up well such a yeah. juicy story to want to lean into because the Czech character in the pilot is very much a villain totally to a point that it felt problematic to make him not just a villain as we move the story forward but it was a question of do we do that or do we not do that. And you guys went with it and it was everyone's like favorite relationship. It really, really was. I mean, you like you 
fight for them, you cry for them, you love them, you you hate some of the things they do. Yeah. It was just such a great relationship. And I think that they respected each other and had so much fun playing it that that really bled into their performances when you watch it. Yeah. And it's also part of the fun of making, you know, long form series television where it's an evolving, breathing, living thing. And you can react to the actors and start writing towards everybody, you know, as you get to know them more um, and their voices and, and also as the audience is responding to stuff. So, you know, you have that opportunity to adjust. Totally. Oh my God. It's so funny. 22 episodes a year. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Well, not the first season because we got cut short by the writer's strike. So we had to do a little (laughs) bit less. Right. But then back to it, it was 22. Yes. That was like a normal thing, which when I think about that, I'm like, that's crazy. I think we did more than 22 the second year to make up for that. I think we did 24 the second year to make up for some of the lost episodes. And fun fact, we were one of only two dramas that launched in 2007 that came back for a second season the other one being josh's other show chuck and we were the only show that came back in directly after the writer's strike in 2000 or the only drama there might have been a half hour other shows came back for season two from the writer's strike but we were the only ones that made it to season three there's three shows that premiered in 2007 that were impacted by the writer's strike that survived past season two Gossip Girl, Chuck, and then this little show, very obscure, you probably haven't heard of it, called The Big Bang Theory. (laughs) Those are the three. Oh, my God. I never knew that. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, I knew it about, yeah. But obviously for Gossip, well, we can get into this as as we go along, but um, we'll stay with the pilot for now. No, I I was going to ask, at what point in season one did you guys know not only that the show was special, but that it was going to hit the way it did? Because it felt like it blew up so quickly. So this will take us to, this will bring us to the writer's strike then because that's not actually what happened. We, okay. <laughs> yeah, we premiered and it was like, okay. And I remember we went down to the CW with Warner Brothers and Peter Roth, who was the head of Warner Brothers at the time and a passionate advocate for the show. And he loved the show right away. And, and, uh, and Susan Robner. And, and so we went to the CW to talk about stuff and everybody was, it was like the elephant in the room of like, everybody really believed in the show. Right. Everybody really loved the show. Like Dawn's from New York and like grew up in this world, like really connected to the show, but it was not happening ratings wise when we first premiered. And part of that was the newness of the CW and like, you know, people not knowing that that was a thing um that was an actual network at that time it was all new but it was kind of like the elephant in the room of like what are we going to do guys we have this show and we think it should be successful but it's not really materialized yet and then the writer strike happened and obviously as we were saying for a lot of shows it was not a fortuitous event it was actually quite um a disastrous i don't mean to laugh when i say that but so everything went off the air because once all the new episodes were done there was nothing to put on and the CW, because they did not, unlike NBC, where Chuck was, they could put on like American Gladiators and all this reality show and just fill the air. CW had nothing else. So they had to put Gossip Girl back on because there was nothing else to put on. Right. And slowly over time, when all the other networks were kind of down, the audience kept growing and growing. And then when we were able to come back and do how many stuff was it? Six episodes or five? Yeah, I think it was five. So we, the CW shows, again, because they every other network, including NBC with Chuck, we all had to wait until the following year to come back for fall season right. two. 
But the CW just had to have shows. So they're like, we need five more episodes, whatever we can shoot to launch in February or March, whenever the show came back. Yeah, I think March. And that's when they did their whole OMFG campaign, that whole like outdoor marketing campaign, um, which was all over LA, all over New York. People were like scandalized. Like it says OMFG. That's like, that says fuck on my billboard <laughs> on Sunset Boulevard right now. And it's like, no, it just says F. We don't know. They had to do like <laughs> yeah. 10 down OMG ones that weren't OMFG. So right. the marketing really caught on and caught people's eye. The show had been rerun and rerun during the strike. And suddenly it was the only thing launching with new episodes. And that convergence is what really put the show over the top. And we actually did like a, a one hour. It's so old fashioned. They never do it anymore. But like a one hour celebration of Gossip Girl before the show came back where it, with like an editorial shoot and like interviews with the cast and like the gossip girl guide to New York, a really crazy thing that would never happen anymore to like relaunch the show when it came back. Wow. And that was kind of like, well, we wouldn't be celebrating it if it wasn't successful. So by then it felt like it was a thing and it was solid, but it was very scary when it launched because the CW was a new thing in, in New York city, like on your TV, it didn't even say the CW, it said picks, whatever that oh is. Oh my God. Pix used to broadcast the Yankee games. So Pix was very big in, in my house with my dad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. But Don Ostroff, when she took over the CW and she, she merged the WB and um, UPN, as Josh said, and then she made kind of a bold move, which was like, this show is going to focus on women 18 to 35. Um, and that there were no networks that were for women 18 to 35. Right. So to us, she was just like, it's probably bad now to say, make crack for girls. <laughs> it's probably yeah. not okay <laughs> to make crack for girls. Well, but the idea was make something that is only for this audience. You don't have to worry about anybody else liking it. And you guys nailed that and did it. We were very lucky that we had Don in our corner at the network and Peter in our corner at the studio. And yeah, if people and don't Peter. believe in the show and it doesn't perform right away, people will, no one has any problem cutting bait and running at the first sign of trouble in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I remember also there was an LA Times article. We did a whole photo shoot. The cast did a whole photo shoot for the LA Times. And oh, the yeah. headline was, the hit that isn't. <laughs> well, but that's also like a really important like milestone for the show is it was one of the first shows that people were watching online. It was truly like the moment where people started talking about young people are going to want to watch shows on iPads and phones. And other people were like, what? Are you crazy? Like, this is still broadcast right. television. Streaming doesn't really right. exist. So that was a huge thing that our fans were early adopters of, you know, what we now consider like how people For consume sure. content. And, and what's also crazy is the entire show being about a blog that none of that existed. We didn't have any of the platforms. No. And that's a credit to, that's a credit to, and we haven't mentioned her yet. We should have earlier. Cecily von Ziegazar, who wrote the books. Right was very prescient in her writing about blogs and blog culture and this kind of the power of the internet and the warping of one's self-esteem based on social media. You know, a lot of that stuff, Cecily very smartly and presciently put in into the books. Yeah, because she was writing before the time of there was before Perez Hilton, before anything that was even like that. And then obviously the show started, Facebook existed, but Instagram didn't exist yet. There's a MySpace reference in the <laughs> in the pilot. 
They're on sidekicks. Yeah, yeah, they're nice. on sidekicks. When we actually shot the final episode of the show, there's a, a flashback to the party that Dan goes to where he meets Serena. And so we needed to get sidekicks. So our prop guy like located some sidekicks. They were Paris and Nicole's sidekicks. Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a fun fact. Yeah. Wow. I almost forgot about sidekicks. <laughs> Those were the hottest things back in 2007, you guys. I mean, I'm, I'm like transported back to that time. This is, this is fun. Also, I was there and didn't even know some of this stuff. It's kind of cool to be a part of a show for so many years and I'm still learning about it. Okay, so obviously this conversation isn't over, but I'm actually just going to stop it here for now because we just got so into it and talked for so long that it's too much good stuff for one episode. So I won't make you wait too long, and I promise I have some very exciting guests coming up in the meantime. I want to thank Josh and Stephanie for kicking off this podcast with me. It's incredible what they put into motion with this show, and it just took a life of its own, and it's still here, 15 years later. That's wild. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, XOXO. XOXO is produced by Propagate Content and me, Jessica Zor. Our show is executive produced by Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Emily Carr, and Hannah Harris. Original music by Moxie and Loon. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky.